chapter of God says, Praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God. For it is pleasant, and praise is comely. The Lord doth build up Jerusalem. He gathereth together the outcasts of Israel. He healeth the broken in heart, and bindeth up their wounds. He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. Great is our Lord, and of great power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord lifteth up the meek. He casteth the wicked down to the ground. Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praise upon the harp unto our God, who covereth the heaven with clouds, who prepareth rain for the earth, who maketh grass to grow upon the mountains. He giveth to the beast his food, and to the young ravens which cry. He delighteth not in the strength of the horse. He taketh not pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear Him, in those that hope in His mercy. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise thy God, O Zion. For He hath strengthened the bars of thy gates. He hath blessed thy children within thee. He maketh peace in thy borders and filleth thee with the finest of the wheat. He sendeth forth His commandment upon earth. His word runneth very swiftly. He giveth snow like wool. He scattereth the hoarfrost like ashes. He casteth forth His ice like morsels. Who can stand before His cold? He sendeth out His word and melteth them. He causeth His wind to blow and the waters flow. He showeth His word unto Jacob, His statutes and His judgments unto Israel. He hath not dealt so with any nation. And as for His judgments, they have not known them. Praise ye the Lord. Now I want you to look with me at verse number 2. We're going to gather a thought here from verse number 2. The Bible says, The Lord doth build up Jerusalem... He gathereth together the outcasts of Israel. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank You for the time that You've given us tonight. Father, we ask that we would uh, bring glory unto Your name with this time ahead of us. Father, I pray for each and every one here that You would speak to our hearts. And Lord, that You'd draw us closer to You. Father, we see that this time that we have is a gift. But Lord, also brings with it a responsibility. And Lord, help us with soberness. And honesty, Father, to approach Your Word tonight, that You might receive glory and that we might be forever changed. Lord, we love You, and we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. I'm interested in a phrase in verse number 2, where the Bible says that the Lord gathereth together the outcasts of Israel. Now, this message is probably going to be a little bit different tonight than messages that I normally preach, because I want to preach to you about the church. Now, I'm aware that the church and Israel are two separate entities concerning the teachings of the Word of God. Or let me put it this way, that they are not synonymous one for the other. I'm aware that as we speak of Israel and and the people of God, the earthly people of God, the Jews, I'm aware that we're speaking of a distinct group of people whom God has set apart and whom God has known in a national sense ever since He called Abraham out of pagan darkness and through him built a nation. I'm aware when we speak of the church that we're speaking about a called out group of people, believers that have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and have been born again. But as we read this passage, I I can't help but be struck by the parallel that is given to us and the picture that I think we have of the church in these few verses. 
You know, it's not altogether unscriptural to think of uh, Jerusalem and the church as being similar in truths and in ideals. I was sort of flipping through my Bible. I didn't have this marked out, but I'll read to you a passage that uh, came to my mind in Hebrews chapter 12, where the writer of Hebrews says this to us, "...but ye are come unto Mount Zion..." And unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. You know, in a lot of ways, what Jerusalem was to Israel in their sojourn, the church is to the believer. Uh, Being a part of a church is not what makes us a Christian, but I believe every Christian ought to be a part of a church. Don't you believe that? Uh, being having your name on the rolls of a church, whatever denomination, whatever uh, persuasion, whatever stripe, whatever flavor, is not what makes you right with God in heaven. But once we're made justified through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, once we put our faith in Him to save us from our sins, I believe that it's God's will for us to be a part of a local church. Uh, the Lord said this, that where two or three are gathered together in my name, there will I be. A lot of people say, what does that mean, preacher? Does that mean that if two or three people gather together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that revival is going to break out and that God's going to sit down from heaven? No, I don't necessarily believe that's what it means. I believe that God is giving us the most basic and elemental pieces of what comprises a church. A church isn't one person. A church is more than one person, right? But a church doesn't have to be a bunch of people. Uh, If those people know the Lord Jesus Christ, and if they're meeting and gathering together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and for the express purpose of carrying out the Great Commission and bringing glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe the Lord will set His name there. I believe He'll say, I'll meet with those people, and I'll use those people, and I'll use them for my glory, and I'll use them for my cause. As we read what the psalmist said, I, I, I focused on that word outcast. And if you're like me, it sort of jumped out the page at you. Mr. Webster defines an outcast as anything that has been cast out, thrown away, or rejected as useless. Can I give you a New Testament verse that I believe defines the church this way? Would that be okay? This is a little bit different, like I said, than what I normally preach, and I don't have a hundred notes in front of me, but the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 sort of describes it to us in this way, and I've always been encouraged by this verse. Listen to what the Lord says about who He uses. Paul said, "...for ye see your calling, brethren..." How that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. And you know, as I look around this church tonight, and I hope you won't be offended by what I'm about to say because I include myself in this same company, I'd say that sort of like the psalmist looked around at Israel and he saw a bunch of outcasts, that the average church could probably look around and see a bunch of outcasts. You know, that's really all we are in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, rejected of the world, spurned and scorned by what the elite of this world would would deem to be valuable. And yet we've been found valuable in the eyes of God. And as we read what the psalmist says, I see three groups of people that were outcasts, but that the Lord saw something in. And if I can do nothing else, let me just encourage you tonight by saying this. Though we may not be much in the world, I believe in God's eyes we mean something. I want you to notice first off, look at verse number 3. I think the first group of outcasts 
that comprise the New Testament church is those that are injured. Listen to what it says. He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. Boy, if there's ever a descriptive verse for what a sinner really is, it's verse number 3 of the 147th Psalm. We are broken-hearted and wounded people. That's how sin leaves anybody. I could say that humanity as a whole was broken. Don't you think so? God created man in perfection and in innocence. And God placed man in a garden. I mean, uh, you know, people say sometimes, well, it's a leadership problem, leadership. Now, I agree, sometimes uh, things rise and fall on leadership. But let's just take a moment and look at Adam. Adam was created by a perfect God. He was created in perfection and innocence. He was placed inside of a perfect garden. He was given a task that he was uh, entrusted with, and that was to keep that garden. He was given everything that he needed, but you know what? Mankind still rebelled. It wasn't God's fault. God didn't do anything wrong, but mankind made his own choice. And whenever man uh, ate of the fruit, he was spiraled into depravity. And in that moment, all of humanity was broken. We spend millions and billions of dollars, untold man-hours and effort trying to fix what is broken with mankind, but we cannot fix it. It doesn't matter how many programs we go to. It doesn't matter how much money we pour into our lives. It doesn't matter how many relationships that we have. At the end of the day, we're a broken-hearted group of people. Sorrowing and suffering are pervasive in society, and there's no amount of self-help that can do it. It's got to be the Savior's help that makes the difference. I could say that humanity as a whole is that way. I could also say that humanity and the individuals, or could I say this, that my personal story is that of being a broken-hearted and wounded individual. Now, you say, but preacher, you, you know, I know you've heard my testimony time and time again, and I was not. I was a ten-year-old boy. I grew up in a Bible-believing church. I heard the gospel every week of my life. I was not in a uh, sorrowful shape as far as the world would consider uh, a broken life, but I was headed to the same place that everybody else was headed to. I was headed to the same place that the drunkard was headed to. I was headed to the same place that the dopehead was headed to. Headed to the same place that the most broken individual in all of society was headed to. I was headed to that same devil's hell. You know, at the end of the day, we measure something's brokenness not by its appearance, but by whether it works, right? Now, now some of you are going to have to amen, because I saw what you drove in tonight. Amen? Our car, and uh, we've been very blessed with our car. I mean, it's, you know, that little white car, it just keeps a going and a going and a going and a going. And it looks better than what a lot of people drive. I understand that, but it's not perfect. It's got scratches on it. Uh, it's got stains on the carpet. It's got things broken. It's got things missing. It's like a lot of us. But I don't just get rid of it. You know why? Because it still works. Still works. <laughs> Nick said me. That's why. <laughs> he keeps it working. Don't just get rid of it because it still works. By the same token... Uh, you may have noticed sitting out in the in the parking lot, uh, Brother Nick drove a real nice truck in, and they just uh, you know that he works for a dealership, and they just got it in. And that truck's beautiful, man. I, I wish I had a truck like that. If any of y'all, you know, my birthday's in September, and if you're looking for something to give me, uh, you know, that, talk to Nick, and he'll let you know you can buy me that truck. But that truck wouldn't mean anything if it didn't run, right? See, what we determine something by is whether it works or not. Let me tell you something. For a lost sinner, he may be beautiful and garnished on the outside, but inside he's full of dead men's bones. And you may have a life that seems to be unscathed by the darkness and depths of sin, but when you're lost without Christ, you're headed to the same devil's hell. Let me put it as simple as I can. No matter how good you look, the question is, does it work or not? doesn't matter how good your religion looks. The question is, does it work or not? doesn't matter how good that your charity is. 
question is, does it work or not? I can tell you this, that of all the things that mankind has tried, there's only one thing that truly works, and that's faith in the risen Savior. Uh, That's calling upon the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm glad that as we sit here tonight, we may not look like much and we may be broken individuals, but we're here because the Lord loves us. We're here because He loves us. We're here because He doesn't throw the clay away. Somebody say amen to that. That was marred in the potter's hands and He could have done it and many folks have done it, but Him as the potter, He didn't throw the clay away. He bound up that which was broken and He healed the wounds that no one else could. But then I'd say as a church family that we're just a bunch of broken individuals. We... uh, You know, you meet people all the time that are looking for a perfect church. And you say, how do you know that they're looking for a perfect church? Because they ain't in church. (laughs) And they'll say, well, you know, I didn't go to this church because it had these problems and that church because it had those problems. Let me tell you what you've got in this building right now is nothing but a bunch of broken individuals. We're saved by the grace of God and, and praise His holy name that He saved us. But we've all still got problems. I don't care who you are. I've got problems. You've got problems. We've all got baggage. We've all got things that we've done wrong and things that we're going to do wrong. And we might as well just grow comfortable with the fact that you and I, we're nothing but a bunch of outcasts. We're not wanted by the world. I'm aware that uh, there may be some that would feign to be uh, important in the world's eyes. But let me tell you something. At the end of the day, uh, once the world has uh, squeezed every drop of usefulness out of you, they'll throw you away. The devil will throw you away. He'll see you as absolutely worthless. He's worth nothing but what he can get out of you. But the Lord Jesus Christ, he's not that way. He took us when there wasn't anything left, right? He took us when there wasn't anything. Let me tell you something. God didn't save you because you're really an A-plus person. God didn't save you because He wanted you on His team. God saved you because of His grace, because of His love, because of His mercy. Not because of who you are. He saved you because of who He is. And as a church, we're really just a bunch of broken individuals. A group of people that have problems and always will. But the Lord gathers them together. I'd say the injured people are a group of people a group of outcasts the Lord brings together. But I would say also that insignificant people are the kind of people the Lord gathers together. Look at the next few verses. The psalmist says this, He telleth the number of the stars, verse 4, He calleth them all by their names. Great is our Lord, and of great power His understanding is infinite. Now, what is the psalmist trying to tell us here? What is he trying to convey to you and I? He's just been talking about all these broken individuals that the Lord gathers together. And then what he's drawing notice to is not the stars, but rather the infinite wisdom and interest that God has in them. We've read things like this in the New Testament. Christ told us how that the Lord has all of the stars named and numbered. Long before the Lord ever uttered this in the Gospels, the psalmist conveyed this truth to us. If you've ever gone out the other night, or uh, or last night actually, our power went out. And uh, we live out in the country. And like out in the country, when the power goes out, everything goes out. I mean, it ain't, you know, it ain't like we got power here, but a mile down the road they got power. And I walked out on the front porch and I told my wife, I said, I'm going to walk out here, I'm going to look up this way and look up that way, see if anybody's got, got any kind of power. And I walked out there and immediately that suffocating darkness is present, you know. If you live in the city, you don't know what that's like. But if you've lived out in the country, I mean, it gets dark out there. And uh, I was struck, though, that there was still, though it was so dark, there was still sort of an ambient light around. And I looked up to the heavens, and it was basically overcast, but there was a bare spot in the clouds, and you could look up and you could see the stars. It's never lost on me the beauty and majesty that the stars in heaven hold. If you've ever sat there and tried to count the stars and number the stars, you know it's a pretty futile effort. 
And our scientists try their best. And every, every once in a while, if you pay attention, if you keep up with news, every few years they'll come out with a new figure and say, well, we've got all the stars counted and we've got them all figured out. And then a few years later they'll say, well, here, you know, here's a galaxy we weren't expecting and here's a universe we didn't, you know, corner of the universe that we had not searched. But think of God in His infinite wisdom and mercy. He knows He has every single star numbered. What an amazing God that we have. If nothing else, that ought to just give, put us in perspective for a little while. It was said of Teddy Roosevelt that whenever he would have dignitaries to the White House, that oftentimes they would sit around talking about the greatest world issues, or maybe uh, Mr. Roosevelt would, would talk about some of the famous hunts that he would go on, or the times when he had traveled down you know, the uh, Amazon and things like that. And it wasn't uncommon for after the meal was done for Mr. Roosevelt to take one of these world dignitaries out to the lawn of the White House. And it was said they would lay on their back and stare in silence at the heavens. Uh, one anecdote was told of Mr. Roosevelt after they had spent one of these uh, periods of time just staring up into heaven that he looked over at this world dignitary and he said this, Well, I guess we're about down to our right size again. And they got up and went back into the White House to discuss other matters. You know what he was driving at? Sometimes it's just a good perspective to sit there and see the vastness of the world that God created. He said, Preacher, what are you driving at? Well, here's the beautiful truth. In all of those stars, not only does God have them numbered, God has them named. God is infinite enough in His knowledge and wisdom. And let me tell you something. If God couldn't take a personal interest in my life, He wouldn't be much of a God. If God couldn't take an interest in your life, then why worship Him? Why follow Him? But the psalmist gives us this truth, that just as in this vast array of stars in the sky... God has each and every one of them, though they may seem insignificant to us compared to the millions of others. God has their name. And in the same way, I believe for you and I, though we may be insignificant, I don't know exactly how many people there are in the world. I think of the last census there was something like 7 billion. It's good to know that the Lord knows us individually. I don't know about you, but I'm not a very important person. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't expect a phone call from the president any day now. I don't have one of those red phones that some, you know, people have in their houses that I guess only the president can call. I, I am not a very important individual. My obituary would probably occupy about the size of that uh, folded handkerchief. But I know that the God in heaven not only knows who I am, but He knows my name. He knows the number of hairs on my head. He knows every care that I have, every worry that I face. Though I may be insignificant as far as this world is concerned, that's the kind of people God is interested in. Now listen, God will save those that are important, but it's sort of like the rich man, the rich young ruler that came to the Lord. Uh, the Lord gave a parenthetical statement concerning that conversation. You remember that man came and he ran and he fell at the feet of the Lord and he, he called him good master and the Lord began to talk to him about that one thing that he had to do. He had to sell all of his riches and the Bible says that that man went away sorrowful. And then the Lord turned and he looked and he said, How hardly shall the rich enter into the kingdom of heaven? He didn't say it's impossible. He said it's hard. Let me tell you something. I believe God saves important people, and I'm thankful that He does. But when you look at the church, it's not comprised of the most important people as far as the world is concerned. There's not very many churches that have a, a president or a senator or a dignitary or an ambassador. But as we look around this church, it's good to know that though we may be insignificant in the world's eyes, we meant something to God. 
Though we may not be the type of person they'll, they'll write a front page news report on when we leave this world, we matter enough to God that He looked down in mercy and in grace upon us and saved us from our sins. When no one else was interested in you. You know, when I tell my testimony, one of the things I often emphasize is my insignificance. Of all the people in all the world, God could have been paying attention to at that moment. He was paying attention to a ten-year-old boy. I didn't matter much in the scope of world events. I still don't matter much in the scope of world events. But I mattered something to God. Just an outcast as far as the world is concerned. But to the Lord, I was important. I think the injured are a group of outcasts, and I think the insignificant are a group of outcasts that the Lord gathers together. But in closing, let me just point out in verse number 6 that I think the unassuming are a group of outcasts that the Lord gathers together. It says in verse number 6, The Lord lifteth up the meek, He casteth the wicked down to the ground. Now the Bible says the meek shall inherit the earth, and we live in times where our faith in that will truly be tested. Meekness, it's been said before, is strength under spiritual control. Having the power and the ability, but choosing rather for the glory of God to be subdued and to not exercise that right or that authority. You know, as Christians, the world, the Bible says the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. Right? Right? That's true. Let me try it again. That's right. That's true. Amen? The earth is the Lord's in the, in the fullness thereof. Well, you and I, we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Amen? Uh, I know that the wicked seem to be in power right now, but our king is returning. And one of these days, that meekness won't have to be displayed, but right now it does. Often Christians are viewed as a group of people that's trampled on, and that's probably true. And let me tell you something, we're heading into a time where we're going to get trampled on more. If we're going to truly be meek, there's going to be times when we're going to be tempted to lash out. But for the glory of God, we're going to have to be led as a lamb to the slaughter. And it's good to know that those unassuming people, people that aren't expressive and, and, and picturesque of strength, and I don't know that any of us are, I'd like to think I'd stand up for my family. I'd like to think that I would protect those things that the Lord has entrusted to me. But I'll go ahead and tell you, I'm not a strong guy. Uh, I'd like to think I have the backbone that the Lord would have me to have. I, I'd like to think I'd never falter, I'd never fail. But I don't know that I can always say that. But I do know this, that though I may be weak, the Lord is my strength. And though I may not be very significant, the Lord is what gives value to me. And though I may be a broken individual, I've got a Savior that binds up that which is broken and that heals the wounds that no one else can heal. It gets frustrating sometimes as a Christian feeling like you're everyone's doormat. But just remember that though we may be everyone else's doormat, we're also a jewel in the crown of glory that the Lord Jesus Christ wears. Though we may not be important to this world, we mean something to Him. And though it may feel like we have no strength for the battles ahead of us, understand that in our weakness, His strength is made perfect. We may not be much, just a group of outcasts, but the Lord gathereth together the outcasts. Praise His holy name. Amen?